This is the Books and Authors Fantasy and Sci-Fi Podcast, Episode 171. Well, good day and welcome to this episode of the Books and Authors Fantasy and Sci-Fi Podcast. I'm your host, podcaster, and author of Fun Fantasy Reads, Jimmy Davis. This podcast is exactly what the title says it is, folks. We are a show focused on everything to do with fantasy and sci-fi books. That means we look at everything, epic fantasy, urban fantasy, swords and sorcery, space opera, military sci-fi. If you can think about it, we try to have it here on the show in those two broad genres. Um, and we try to bring you the best and brightest authors from all the various corners of the fantasy and sci-fi book world. So um, let's go ahead and get started. Um, this is going to be my section of the show. So um, I'm working currently on finishing up the final bits of the Accidental Monk book, which is book seven in my Accidental Traveler lit RPG series. Um, at the same time, I'm collaborating on a new project with uh, author Jen Frontera that is a humorous space sci-fi serial, and that's going to be put together for an upcoming Amazon service that's coming out sometime this summer called Vela. So they're going to be presenting serialized um, fiction uh, that you'll be able to you know, consume a chapter at a time, and I'm working on a project that'll be part of that. So I'm um, looking forward to that, having a lot of fun working on that project. As always, you can check out anything I'm up to, more information about what I'm doing, including sneak peeks of upcoming covers, special giveaways, and a whole lot more. Just visit my group over on Facebook, Jamie's Fun Fantasy Readers. Uh, you can find it over there. Join the group. We'd love to have you. We talk about everything to do with fantasy, whether it's fantasy movies, fantasy books, whatever we're reading or listening to. Uh, it's all a lot of fun and a great group of people over there. So come join the fun. Um, you can also check out more about what I'm doing over at my website, jamiedavisbooks.com. Okay, let's jump into this week's guest. This week I have DM Fike joining us on the podcast. She's worked in the video game industry for over a decade, starting out as a project manager and eventually becoming a story writer for characters, plots, and missions. She's born in Idaho's Magic Valley, and she says you can't make this stuff up. That's where she comes from. Um, Deborah also lived in Japan teaching English before calling Oregon home. She loves family, fantasy, food, mostly in that order, and is on the constant lookout for new co-op board games to play. She's also one of the amazing authors, including myself, that um, appears in the upcoming urban fantasy short story anthology, Summer Solstice Shenanigans. And we talk about her short story contribution to that anthology as well. So come on and listen in. Here comes my chat with DM Fike. DM Fike, it's great to have you on the Books and Authors Fantasy and Sci-Fi Podcast. Welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. So um, I, you go by Deborah, so I'll be talking to you that way. But um, it's great to have you here. And um, why don't you introduce yourself? Uh, tell the uh, readers in the audience a little bit about who you are. Um, so I am a um, a latecomer to the to the indie author writing game. I started my career working in video games. Um, I used to be a project manager um, for Disney in their D Disney interactive game space. And I eventually got to do some writing for games, which was always my childhood dream. Um, 
So at some point I did a career shift and decided, you know, I can do this for Disney. Maybe I can do this for some other people. And I've started writing more and more of my own novels. So I'm doing um, fantasy novel writing full time now. You know, and it's, it's funny you know, people, I think, don't realize if they're not gamers, how rich the stories are in, in modern video gaming, um, either online or, or on the computer or on their um, PlayStation or whatever the case may be. Um, just the rich environment and backstory and character development, all that goes into making a really great game. Yeah, no, it's true. Like it, video game writing is really difficult because you don't want to bog players down with too much detail. You want them to immerse themselves in graphics and, and other things. But you, but the, the story behind so many games you play, I tell you, there are writers, usually writers with an S, who have thought about the rich background and how they want that to be portrayed. But very little of it comes to you as the reader in terms of reading um, when you're playing a game, because we don't want you to spend time reading stuff. We want us, you to spend time playing stuff. So it's a very different type of um, fictional storytelling. Yeah. I'm that odd guy who like, I, I'm, I'm hugely passionate about the Assassin's Creed franchise and it's, oh, be- yeah. it's because I'm a yeah, history that's buff. That's really good lore. And so I actually read like all the historical markers, you know, and stuff. I, you know, when they have like the extra information about the, the buildings or the locations, I, I stop the game and I go and I read that stuff because I'm just fascinated with how they've woven that fantasy story into um, an actual history historical setting. Well, and as a, as a writer, having done those kind of tags before, I thank you for taking the time because <laughs> you're, you are uh, like those kind of uh, players are our favorites, right? Because they, they get what we're trying to do. They get the, the immersion that we're trying to present you as a player. It's funny when I, we first started playing that game, my kids were a lot younger and we went to um, Disney world and Epcot and um, we were in, we were in um, the Italy section of Epcot. And our kids are like, oh man, we, Ezio could so totally climb that, that tower there. And, you know, they, they, they were so already into the culture of Italy because they had played that game. And so it gave, you know, and because it was historically accurate in so many ways, it, it was kind of fun that I was able to share that with them. That is really cool. No, the, that particular team did such a great job of getting the historical aspects of the game into there, as, as well as obviously the fantasy, fantastical aspects of writing that lore. So yeah, that is that is a treat. When you've got that many people that dedicated, plus they have their programmer team and their game design team, which are obviously fantastic. When that all comes together, it's it's amazing. And that's, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people. That's like a movie set experience you get when you're playing those games. It's really fun. Definitely. So um, you and I have actually become connected because we both contributed short stories to the uh, soon to be released some, uh, Summer Solstice Shenanigans Anthology. Uh, 24 amazing short stories. I was one of the curators and got to read most most of the stories, the beginnings of all the stories, and um, just I just want to say it was it's a pleasure to be alongside authors like you in this project. Oh, thank you! I I was so excited to be accepted, having having just dipped my toes last year into um, doing indie pub- publishing. Like I am, I'm a very small fish in a huge pond of great writers like Martha Carr, who I've read 
you know, I read her stories well before I decided to delve into the space and having her be the headline for this anthology. I, I, it's just, it's fantastic. I agree with you. It's a fantastic feeling to be associated with so many wonderful authors and I haven't got to read them yet. I'm waiting anxiously to, to get my hands on my copy. I'm using this podcast as an excuse to get my hands on the ones I didn't get to read when I was doing the curation (laughs) part of it. Um, so it's, it's, Really exciting. Um, I love your story and, and seeing the descriptions of your five books in the magic of Nasi. Is it Nasi? Uh, Noski. Noski. Okay. Magic of Noski series. Um, I was, I was instantly drawn into how your short story connects with that series. Um, and, and the main character is Ina, right? It's, it's Ina. Ina. Right. <laughs> and this is why I have to ask. I in my books. <laughs> no, it's okay. I, it's, I have to ask because I, I, I knew I was going to get it wrong. I, just as a joke, I mean, just so you know, I always get the names wrong on this show. So it's not just you. Um, it's probably my fault that I don't pronounce these things correctly. No, um, so Ina is a, so I'm Japanese American and Ina is also a Japanese American. It's the whole write what you know thing. And so um, I made her name, her real name is Imogene, but she took the, and her last name is Nakamori, which means inside the forest. So it's, if people that know Japanese get the play on words since my books take place in the wilderness. And so uh, she took the first two Japanese phonetical uh, letters of her alphabet to be Ina. So when you look at it, I, you know, Ina is very common, I think is an, um, more of an anglicized name, but she goes by the Japanese version. So you are completely off the hook for not knowing <laughs> exactly how to pronounce that. Cause it's, it's a weird name. Well, it, for sure. Regardless, Ina is a fast, fascinating character. Um, the short story that you wrote, um, you know, has her, in, in her um, wilderness setting where she is a shepherd. Tell us a little bit about the background in your world that sets this up. So my stories are um, take place in the Pacific Northwest wilderness. Uh, so I live in Oregon. I'm a transplant though. I'm originally from Idaho and I lived in the semi-arid desert. So growing up, I was always fascinated by places that were much more green than where I lived. <laughs> and um having been here about 15 years, I I just always felt, I love urban fantasy. I, you know, Jim Butcher, Patricia Briggs, all those people, but I always loved also the, the the magical nature of being in a really remote wilderness place. So um, the stories are about what kind of strange beings do live out in the forest and who takes care of that. And um, so the, the shepherds of Noski, it's a little, it's got a little bit of an environmental um, flavor. They protect the wilderness areas from all the big bad internet interdimensional beasts that come over from another realm that that suck up natural resources and also sometimes mess up human civilization and the shepherds are a secret society of wizards that kind of protect that boundary between um, what happens in the wilderness and everything else well and 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 so ina is like one of these shepherds um she she's um she's mentioned that she she looks like a a, a teenage girl, but she's not, um, which I love that story. She's like, I'm old enough to drink. You know I mean? It was like just a great, just a great retort to that comment by one of the other characters. Um, it, it, your short story really kind of, I think sets up that premise very well in a short format and makes me hungry to keep reading and find out more about her adventures because, um, she of course has a, a, a park ranger that she interacts with. Um, you know, as part of her, um, 
part of her adventures. Um, and she has some other people that she's, she's interacting with. Um, and I'm fascinated with the way you kind of wove some of the, the elemental magic into um, how she does things. Um, how, how much time did you spend on weaving that magical system together? So I, I like elemental magic. It probably comes actually from my, my video game background because I played all those old JRPGs, the Japanese um, role-playing games like Final Fantasy is, is my jam. And so they, they, they always have used that. Um, and, you know, those are obviously taken from D&D as well. I'm a huge nerd. I apologize to anybody listening to this. It's not a huge nerd. I am. This is, um, a, ner- so- this is a nerd safe zone, so you're all good. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> Because, um, yeah, I drew from the, so some of the, a lot of these elements should feel familiar to people that like that stuff. I liked the elemental nature. It fit perfectly with the the nature themes. Um, and so I, I took a lot of time. I already kind of go hiking and, and camping naturally. So kind of looking at the wilderness and how the like air, fire, water, and earth interact in already natural environments and how that feels and tried to try to come up with the system of how would this magic work? And I came up with, um, you would store it and expend it. So that's, that's their pathways. The, the shepherds of Noski have this link to this goddess who inherit inhabits the center of the earth. And through that, they can pull in the elements and manipulate them. Then Ina is special in her own way because she is, she's a young rebel upstart, pretty classic trope for urban fantasy. And she also has the strange ability of being able to manipulate lightning, which the other shepherds are kind of like, what's up with that? Because she's also kind of got an attitude. She's a little, um, she's a little bit of an upstart. So um, I kind of thought about that, you know, fish out of water in the magical realm kind of, you know, these are all like, tropes that have been used in these kind of books, but throwing them into the wilderness and bringing in all these kind of like game playing type um, elemental magic systems is kind of how I approached writing these stories. And I guess that's how, you know, the, the title of the first book in your series is Chasing Lightning, which probably alludes to Ina's uh, ability to do that. Yes, that's true. So this book, um, the short story I submitted to Summer Solstice Shenanigans takes place between book two and three. So she's progressed a little bit from um, the start. Um, I I did that because I've already written a couple of, you know, prequels. And I wanted to write a story where people could jump in in the middle, still totally get a satisfying story, but kind of also get a sense of, of the world that's a little farther along than where it was when I started. I think that's a great idea. And I've done that same thing in, in some of my series too, with short stories, um, kind of writing, writing a story that's, that's, uh, gives a sense of the world and, and more of the development. And then they can go back and see the origins of what, what they've read, um, in, in the first couple of books. So I completely agree with that. You've written medical series, right? I'm fascinated by, do you mind if I ask you a question? Sure. I want to know what's your background in the medical field. Cause that stuff, is fascinating to me, but also from a, a writer's point of view, terrifies me because I don't know much about the medical field. So I'm, I'm a retired paramedic um, and also a registered nurse. I still have my nursing license, um, although I'm a full-time writer now. So my nursing is mostly volunteer stuff that I do. Um, but um, that's my background in, in medicine. So when my, when I first started writing fiction, um, I got this crazy idea from when I was riding on the ambulance and it had been rattling around in my head for like 10 years. 
of, you know, in the middle of the night having strange people that you pick up and you take to the hospital. And I, I would wonder like what kind of like unusual secret creatures are they underneath, you know, because I read urban fantasy. So um, when I came up with the idea for the extreme medical services series, I, I kind of took a, a rookie paramedic, um, and, and threw him in the deep end where he gets like, suddenly finds out he's at the special station where they treat supernatural creatures instead of regular humans. And so he has to deal with all of that. And, and I brought a real, I brought real medicine into it. So, you know, it, it's, you know, it, it's, it's a shifter, but they, they lose the ability to control when they change because their diabetes isn't under control. So when they get low blood sugar, they change into a werewolf, Eat. you know, and, <laughs> And so, you know, wrestling with a werewolf while you give him medicine so that the blood sugar will even out so that he can go back to being human again is, is kind of this, this opening scene that just kind of tells the tale of this young paramedic. So you kind of did the same thing. It sounds like it's like you have the you, you're kind of living your life and you're like, man, there's magic here. And I think that's the beauty of the urban fantasy genre is you can be anywhere and you can be like, wow, there is totally magic here. Right. In, in the most mut accountants, barbers, it doesn't matter. It's like there is totally things going on here. And I, that's what really draws me personally to the genre. And, and one of the things I've enjoyed most is bringing in lots of different mythologies and cultures into it because, you know, uh, a, a, an American paramedic runs into people from all over the world, you know, ethnically. And so, of course, they're bringing, if they're supernatural, they're bringing the supernatural creature from their background to the United yeah. States. You know, it's not just the people, but the supernatural comes here too. And, and so it's, it's been a lot of fun to kind of play with that and, and show other sides of different types of supernatural creatures that people might not be as familiar with as the typical vampires and werewolves and you know, that kind oh, of thing. Yeah. When I'm research, so my interdimensional monsters, I pull a lot from different cultures and looking at like the different monsters that I, I know some of, I know I've written uh, monsters that have come from the Philippines, from Native American culture, from uh, more Celtic culture. So it's really fun to see like these things come to life and and like r really interact with what would what how would these things interact with the world today? Because a lot of these older mythologies were you know these were people living in you know no internet obviously, and so having them interact with like paramedic service or you know modern day campers, I think is really interesting. And, and you've taken like, like I've, I write about an urban setting, an actual urban setting for urban fantasy, but you've taken an urban fantasy and built it into a more um, remote and wilderness setting, which I think is just fascinating because it's standing that basic trope on its head, but still having all the other elements that people love. Yeah, I, I like it too. It does make it interesting though, because that, that, that name does hurt me a little bit in terms of, as you probably know, in the marketing, because it is urban fan. There really isn't a rural fantasy, which kind of makes sense. Um, there's this broader term of contemporary fantasy, um, but that's so broad and can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. So I, I have the jury's out for me personally, whether I made a smart move or not from a marketing perspective, but I'm really enjoying writing in this world for the, for the time being. I just, I like it. I, I love thinking about how these and learning about park rangers in Oregon, um, game wardens, my, the character that you mentioned is actually in Oregon. I did not know this until I started researching. Um, they're actual cops. They're not just part of the U S forest service. So they get certified 
um, by um, the state troopers here as a state trooper in Oregon, but they also work as part of the, um, the local Fish and Wildlife Division. So they serve dual roles. And there's only, I think, one other state that does that. So learning about kind of the intricacies of how park management, wildlife management, how law enforcement works with them in different states has been really interesting. Things I never would have thought about for a second until I started writing this stuff. And, 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 you know, I think we, you can, you can take the liberty and have it in a wilderness setting and still call it urban fantasy. I honestly believe that. I, I, I think that urban fantasy speaks more about the contemporary nature of the story and the modern technology and things that are around you that can happen in a wilderness setting too. And, and, you know, there's still people in cars and, you know, rec- it, it has to do, I think with the, the reader having recognizable things. You don't have to describe in, in an epic fantasy. And as an author, you have to describe, you know, everything because if it's something right. that's not commonly seen here on earth, then you have to describe it and build it. But in an urban fantasy or contemporary fantasy setting, you don't have to tell people how a car works or how, right. how a window opens or any of those common ordinary things that we take for granted uh, because people know how those things work. And so you, then you can just delve into the fantasy nature of it. Yeah. I, 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 uh, I feel like it's a trade-off. So if, if you're epic, you have all control, but then all those details have to make sense. And that is so much work where you get the, like you said, in any sort of urban fantasy, you get that layer of this is how things are. So now as an author, it is on me to make sure it makes sense in the real world. So I have to do more of my research and stuff. So um, yeah, I, I, I do agree with you. I think that that my stories still fit in that urban fantasy genre. It's it's my little um, spin on it, kind of like um, Kimber Swain does the trailer park fantasy stuff. So it's like it is still urban, but it's so different than what you think of like Chicago with Dresden or, you know, the big cities um, where a lot of urban fantasy takes place. I, and I think it makes it fun. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so you've got five books in the series so far. Um, obviously you said you're going to stay in this world for a while. So you have more coming, I assume. Yeah. I'm, I've got another trilogy coming up, which will have, um, I try to make each story have its own plot resolve. I really try not to have cliffhangers, but I also have an overarching plot. So the first five books had an overarching arc where Ina grew and became stronger in in her own right as a shepherd of Noski. And then the same thing will happen in the next three books. And so I've got them mostly drafted. So now it's it's editing and making sure, you know, doing all the work of making sure it makes sense. And I've got all the little details right. So that's kind of what I'm working on right now. Awesome. I, I, you know, I think it, it, you learn as you go along. I, I know my first three books in my extreme medical services series, which were the first three books I wrote, um, they're really, they're really a, a continuous story of themselves. So there's a little bit of cliffhanger action going on there, especially between books one and two. Um, but I learned, I got a little bit better at endings. My wife says, your endings keep getting better, dear. And I'm just like, I don't know if that's a good thing that she's telling me, or, but <laughs> Oh no, like I, so I, even though these are the first I published, I wrote a, a YA portal fantasy trilo- trilogy that I did just publish this spring because I, I, I wanted them to be out there, but it's the same thing. Like it's, 
there's a lot of roughness and I can see, I can see where I've been getting better. And even now, like the, it's one of those, the more you learn, the more like, oh my gosh, there's so much more detail that I didn't think about writing these, these other things. And I am definitely in the middle of like, I got to get better. I got to like learn about these things. And like, and, and some people like, you know, the different types of clip hangers can work. So it's, you know, it really, <laughs> nailing the art form really is, is kind of a um, nebulous thing. Well, and it helps <laughs> that the other stories are out there. I mean, there's nine books in that series now. So, um, you know, they don't, they don't have to get hung up on the cliffhanger. They can get the next book right away. So that's true. Yeah. yeah. You've got a good series rolling. Yeah, that's good. Um, it's, it's important, I think, for us to continue to grow and not dwell on, on earlier work because I think we're going to get better. And so by, by that very nature, there are going to be things we wished we did differently or wished we could change in earlier books. But I think we have to keep looking forward and working on the next project. And, and just, I know when I write, um, I, I try to do, I try to focus on one new thing that I can work on honing in each new book. Um, so I talk to my editor and I say, what drove you nuts when you were editing this? What, what is it that I can work on in the next book? And then that's the thing I kind of focus on, you know, whether it's better use of commas or, or, you know, more active, more active versus passive voice or whatever the case may be, all those things that, that make you a better writer. Um, it's just a process. And I think I'm never going to, I'm never going to be perfect, but I can be better. And that's what I try to do. Oh my gosh, you talk about better use of commas. <laughs> like I felt coming into novel writing, I know, I know what I'm doing, right? And then I learned all these things about dialogue tags and ellipses and short pauses and those things drive me nuts. <laughs> and I'm like, I thought I knew what I was. Nope. Gal, I I I hear you on the whole like every like taking a little thing and like talking with your editor my editor is fantastic that way too and I can always tell and talk to her and and get a feel for those kind of um mechanical improvements too well and 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 honestly I mean I still just I really just focus on the story at the end of the day because that's what an editor's there for you know I don't need to worry if if I used an ellipsis wrong and I should have used an m dash you know I I just kind of like well that's okay that they'll fix it and make it correct. <laughs> um, and I can, you know, when I get it back from them, it'll be right. And and that's all I, I can tell the story and then let them fix the prose, you know, in the sense that they're fixing the little grammatical things that might happen here or there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I am so happy to have a couple of really great readers who are not only really excited about what I'm doing, but also critical in the ways that help me improve. So they will be like this, this scene, like didn't quite make sense or like whatever happened to this thread that you were teasing us with. Like I do get some of that feedback from readers and it is essential. So anybody who's a reader out there who thinks that, you know, indie authors don't want to hear this stuff. Like they love readers that are passionate, but also are like, Hey, have you thought of this? Cause it really does help. It helps me quite a bit. We love hearing from you all. So don't be afraid to reach out to your favorite <laughs> author. If you have a comment, as long as you're respectful, we love it. We love hearing from you. And honestly, you know, my latest release horror story here. So, you know, get ready folks. But my latest release, <laughs> the paramedic sorceress, um, I released it and then got immediately within like three days, a note back from one of my 
readers saying, hey, listen, you know, the, the, there's lots of grammatical errors and problems with this. Did you, you know, I don't know why, but I just wanted to let you know. Well, it turns out my editor sent me the wrong file. And I didn't realize it. I just put it out there because it was done and from my standpoint. And so when I went back to the editor, I said, hey, somebody said there's like lots of things. Can you go back and do another pass? And she was happy to do it. She set everything aside and, and did it right away. And she, like within an hour, apologized to me and said, I sent you the wrong file. Oh, man. Thank, thank you, that reader. Oh, man. Exactly. That's- so. <laughs> You never yeah. know. Don't assume that somebody's put something out there. It could be an honest mistake. And so I was able to fix it within like four days of release. But there's there's some people out there that have a book that that I'm, you know, a little bit ashamed that got out from under the, the quality control process. Um, but uh, so if you're listening to this and you got that copy of the book, I'm giving away a free copy of any of my other books because you got that book. So all you have to do is reach out to me. Um, because that's the best I can do. I can't make it right for that book. Although I can give you a copy of that book that's been edited and and finished, but I will give you another book too, because readers are awesome. And I want to make sure you're all happy. Yeah, it, it is really, I don't know how many um, people listening to this know how much indie authors do, but we are really, um, we're like small stores. Like think of the most family run little store in your neighborhood. We are trying to do it all. And so, I mean, we have to hire outside editors. We have to often have to hire cover designers, but it's, you know, keeping all the balls in the air is, is really (laughs) difficult. And that's like, I, we, um, I really didn't realize how much of the administrative or marketing and stuff that I would have to be doing, but um, it's all, I actually enjoy the marketing bit. I was a product manager, so that doesn't bother me so much, but it is so much work that goes on just besides what you read on a page. For sure. Well, Deborah, it's, it's been great having you on the show. We're kind of wrapping up here. Um, what's the name of your series again? Where can people find it and where can people find you? Um, so my series is called Magic of Noski. Um, Nature Wizard Adventure Stories. They're on Amazon and in Kindle Unlimited if you happen to have a subscription. Um, you can find them um, under my pen name, which is DM Fike, F I K E. Um, if you do a search, you'll find me and um, look for the, the elemental names in the titles of the series. They all have it right now. So, air, fire, earth, wind, wa- or water. It's the way to go. And the first book is Chasing Lightning. So folks should definitely look that up and um, and watch for Summer Solstice Shenanigans, which is coming out very soon. Uh, I think in, it'll be about a week after this episode comes out. So people should watch for it. It's available for pre-order now. So look it up. 24 amazing short stories from some of the best urban fantasy authors out there right now. You won't go wrong. I promise you. So uh, Deborah, thanks for coming on the show. It's really great to have you. Thank you. And I look forward to being in that book with you. I'm so excited. And that's going to wrap up this episode of the Books and Authors Fantasy and Sci-Fi Podcast. I hope you'll catch up with us for a whole lot more from the whole fantasy and sci-fi focus community. You can find that group over on Facebook or at fantasy-focus.com. Leave a comment on this episode while you're in either location and let me know what's on your mind. 
Also on the website and each podcast episode post, you'll find links to subscribe to the show so you can actually get the episodes delivered directly to your favorite iOS or Android devices by app or even by email. So uh, make sure you do that. We have some awesome authors coming up for you, and we're going to be featuring some of the best short story authors from the upcoming anthology over the next coming weeks. So you don't want to miss any of them, including our next episode with author R.C. Barnes. That's it for this episode of the Books and Authors Fantasy and Sci-Fi Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Jamie Davis, author of Fun Fantasy Reads. Don't forget to follow me over on Facebook in my group over there, Jamie's Fun Fantasy Readers, or visit my website, jamiedavisbooks.com, where you can get a free book if you sign up for my newsletter while you're over there. Whatever you do, though, subscribe and come back here for the next podcast episode. And in the meantime, folks, as I always remind you, keep your eyes open because there's magic all around you.